0: Welcome to this message from Shafar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to His word being preached. So, um, just, uh, Philip, just keep it on that screen. I want to share the same thing I shared this morning um, on uh, the 23rd Psalm, which starts The Lord is my shepherd. And, um, it's, it's quite a famous psalm. In fact, um, some people reckon it's probably the most famous chapter in the Bible. I mean, there are, there are more famous single verses, other verses like John 3.16. It's probably you know more famous. But when you're looking at chapters of the Bible, there probably, probably aren't any that are more famous than Psalm 23. It's really a very beautiful and powerful psalm. But I, I don't think the full impact of it always gets us, because there's a bit of cultural distance between us and the whole idea of shepherds and sheep. I mean, we don't have regular contact with either shepherds or sheep, and eating, regularly eating mutton and lamb doesn't count. I'm talking about actual live sheep here, okay? Um, so, you know, the full impact of this doesn't always, always get us, but I'm just going to read this song. You can go to the next slide. In the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And it starts off with a statement, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And a very powerful statement, sort of the foundational statement upon which the rest of the psalm is based and which the rest of the psalm sort of expands upon. Um, And in that statement... Um, David basically does two things. He makes a, a declaration, "The Lord is my shepherd," and then he makes a deduction from that declaration. "I shall not want." It was because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And um, a shepherd was someone who obviously looked after sheep, but it wasn't sort of a job that you did. It wasn't just like a nine to five. It was your life. You went with the sheep out into the felt. You slept with them. You ate with them. You took care of their every need. I mean, when they needed food, when they needed water, when they needed healing, when they needed protection, all of that the shepherd provided. Um, but it wasn't the most glamorous job. I mean, it, it not it's, not very glamorous today, but I mean, even in David's time and in Jesus's time, and you know, in ancient Israel, it wasn't the most glamorous job. Um, for instance, just to give an idea, and I'm not going to read it now, but in Genesis 46, uh, this is when um, you, know, you remember the story of Joseph, who got sold into slavery by his brothers and ended up in Egypt and became a ruler in Egypt, and there was this famine. And his whole family ended up w- with Jacob, who was a shepherd, by the way, uh, coming over from, from Israel to Egypt, you know, to, um, to get food and grain and stuff and, so they can survive the famine. And, um, you know, they were saying, oh, you know, all of us, you know, we, we're a bunch of shepherds. And, and, and then it's just sort of mentioned, you know, that every shepherd, and I'm quoting now, every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. The Egyptians hate shepherds. <laughs> Well, they they weren't alone in sort of that assessment. Not everyone liked shepherds because they they tended to be sort of smelly, you know. uh, (laughs) Not very highly educated, smooth people, you know. And, um, I mean, we even see it. um, It says here, Psalm of David. And David was a shepherd, of course. And um, let me just read you that little portion in Samuel where it mentions uh, David as a shepherd. 1 Samuel 16. Uh, in verse 11, now this is where Samuel the prophet has come to Bethlehem. And he's got a word from the Lord that there's going to be a new king, and the new king is going to be one of Jesse's sons. And uh, he says in verse 11, Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all, these your, son, uh, are all your sons here? Because all of them pass by, and he thinks, Well, I the oldest one, this guy is like really handsome, big, strong, you know, imposing guy. Surely he's the right one, and God says, No, it's not him. And they go through all of them, all seven of David's older brothers. And, and, and then Samuel asked, are all your sons here? And he says, said, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he's keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send, send and get him. And we see that <clears throat> David was a shepherd. But um, it's quite telling that, you know, when, when <laughs> I mean, almost everyone had livestock in those days, but when, when they had to decide who was going to look after the livestock, who was going to shepherd them, it was like the youngest guy, <laughs> the guy who, had, who didn't have a say. It wasn't like everyone was putting up their hands and saying, me, me, pick me. I want to be the shepherd. They were saying, no, you, David, you're the runt of the litter. You're the youngest guy. You're going to, feed the, you're going to look after the sheep. We don't, want, we, don't want, we don't want that job. Not a very glamorous job. And yet, here comes the Lord, Yahweh, and he says, I'm a shepherd. I'm a shepherd. Not the most glamorous job, and God says, I'll take it. I'll shepherd these guys. I'll take care of them. Um, And David obviously knew what it meant to be a shepherd. Like I just read, he was a shepherd. When he was young, he shepherded his father's sheep. And later on, he became a shepherd of Israel. Let me just read you one of my um, favorite Psalms. or One of my favorite scriptures on leadership is at the end of Psalm 78, uh, where it says, uh, God chose David, his servant, and took him, Uh, from the sheepfolds, from following uh, the nursing ewes, he brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, and Israel, his inheritance. With upright heart, he shepherded them and guarded them with his skillful hand. So not only was David um, a shepherd boy, a shepherd of sheep when he was young, but he became a shepherd of Israel, a shepherd of people when he was older. So he understood being a shepherd. And I mean, there's a lot of debate about when was this written. I think the Psalm 23 was written a bit later in David's life, Uh, not when he was a shepherd boy, but obviously uh, I think when he was an older king because it says amongst other stuff like, you know, uh, you prepare a table in the midst of my enemies uh, and, you know, there's walking through the valley of the shadow of death. When he was a little shepherd boy, he hadn't experienced, you know, those near-death experiences or he didn't have all the enemies. So this was clearly later in his life. But I'm sure David, the shepherd king remembered David the shepherd boy and remembered what it was like to be a shepherd, How it, what it was like to shepherd sheep and what it was like then to shepherd people. And he was a great shepherd. He was a great leader. If you, if, you, if you ask any Jew, you know, who was the greatest king of Israel, most of them will probably say David. I mean, he really led Israel well. And here he is this greatest shepherd of Israel's history. And he says, I have a shepherd. I am a shepherd, but I have a shepherd. And I I think, just, uh, you know, I I really think that's true of all great leaders, come to think of it. I think one of the most important questions you can ask any leader is who's leading you? The most important question you can ask any shepherd is who's shepherding you? Who are you following? Because that tells you a lot about uh, them as a leader. And, and he says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And, and I think the reason why he can say, I shall not want, is because he says, the Lord is my shepherd. You see, the, the reality is, <clears throat> sheep are, are needy animals. Sheep are probably the most helpless and hapless animals they are. If you just think about it, compare them with other animals. Most other animals either have a good offensive strategy or a good defensive strategy. I mean, if you think about <clears throat> offensive strategy, I mean, you know, you have animals who have, like, big, you know, um, teeth, you know, like lions, and they can, like, bite, you know, and so on. Or, or you know, sharp claws like a leopard, you know, and they, they can fight off enemies. Um, <clears throat> or you have sheep that are, are, you have, have animals that are really big like elephants or buffaloes and you don't mess with an elephant or a buffalo. It's just big, you know. You don't <laughs> you don't mess with them. So they have great offensive strategies. And then you have some animals that have good defensive strategies. Like a, a turtle has a, a shell and can crawl into its shell. You know, great defense, you know. Um, uh, you have certain animals that, that are, you know, they can camouflage really well, so they can hide well, you know, and, and you don't really see them. Um, you have animals that are fast, you know, so they, they always win their fight by about a hundred meters. You know, they can run away from you know any danger. Or so you get animals that can hide really well. Like a mouse is small; it can crawl into little holes where other animals cannot get in. You know, so it can be safe and so on. Um, sheep have none of that. <laughs> they have none of that. They don't have a good offensive strategy. They don't have a good defensive strategy. It's nothing. They're just helpless, you know. <laughs> And, and to put it, and, and they're not the smartest animals. They just sort of follow. I mean, this is what shepherds tell us. You know, they just sort of follow one another around, and one sort of goes into a valley and falls into a crag or something, and the others just go after it and fall in on top of it. You know, like a bunch of lemmings. And you know, they're not the smartest animals. You know, so so they they have really not much to recommend them. They're, they're very needy. Um, I mean, if other animals, even domestic animals, if you let them free in the wild. They'll either adapt to the wild and live on there, or they'll return home. Sheep don't do neither. They don't have that sense of direction to return home, like cats or dogs or stuff like that. And, and they certainly don't have the, the means to survive in the wild. They just run to and flow, you know, and then eventually they die, you know. <laughs> so, so when it says the Lord is my shepherd, it says something about me as the sheep, and, and to put it very bluntly, you know, it's, it's a very well-intentioned, very loving insult. That's pretty much what it is, you know. We're sheep, you know. Some of us try to make sheep cool, you know, being sheep cool, you know. Make, be like a tough sheep, you know, meh, you know, I'm a tough sheep, you know. Don't sickle with me, I'll scorp you, you meh. You know, it, it doesn't work. <laughs> it doesn't work, you know. Sheep aren't tough. <laughs> you can make sheep tough. Um... The reality is, if we're a sheep, as the Bible says, and and I mean, that's a metaphor that's used often in the Bible for us, we need a shepherd. Sheep need their shepherd for everything. You know, the shepherd provides the the food, um, you know, the pasture, uh, you know, leads them to places where they can drink water, provides protection for them because they don't have any, you know, protection of their own, like we said, uh, when they get sick you know, the shepherd takes care of them. The sheep need shepherd, uh, the shepherd for literally everything in their life. And we can deal with this neediness that we have, this reality that we are needy, that we need stuff, in, in one of two ways. We can, we can try and, and meet our own needs. And, and the problem is, you know, our needs change with our circumstances. Circumstances are changing all the time. So you look ahead into this new year, you know, and you can respond in either excitement or fear, both based on the uncertainty you know, of the new year that's, that lays ahead. And the reality is you, you, can, you can try and meet all your own needs you know, and try. And within all this changing circumstance, I mean, you don't even know what life's going to be like in this coming year. But you can try and sort of prepare for every eventuality and meet all your own needs The reality is, you know, you're not going to be able to do that. And if you try and approach the uncertainty of the future and of this new year in that way, you're going to live in constant fear. So you you can try and meet all your own needs, or you can trust someone who can do it for you. And in Psalm 23, David recommends the latter option. There is someone who can meet your own needs. He says, The Lord is my shepherd. Now it says the, the Lord, the word there, the Lord, whenever you see the word Lord in, in small caps in, in, the, in the Bible, in your Bible, it's, it's the translation, the English translation of the Hebrew word Yahweh. You know the name of God that He revealed Himself to Moses in the burning bush. He said, I am who I am. I am the great I am. Go and tell the, the children of Israel, I am I sent you. In other words, the, 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 the Hebrew proper name of God, Yahweh, literally means the one who is... But it's also in the causative uh, case. So it it refers to the one who causes all else to be. So he's not only the one who is. God is quite apart from everything around him. God exists quite independently of anything around him. God doesn't need anything to exist. God God is the uncaused cause of everything. Nothing caused him. Nothing made him happen. He made everything happen. That's what the name means. He's he has no source. I mean, we can't relate to that because we, we are dependent on everything. If you take the oxygen away, we die. If you don't give us enough water, we die. You know? If we d- don't have enough sort of relationship and fellowship, you know, we go crazy <laughs> or depressed. You know? I mean, we just need so many things. We, if, we, if there's no light, we can't see. You know. It's like... Uh, you know, so, so we we are so de- dependent on so many levels we can hardly conceive of someone or something that is not dependent on any level. But that is God, Yahweh, the one who is quite apart from anything else and doesn't need anything else or anyone else. We we praise God not because He needs our affirmation, you know, it's not like God has like a bad self esteem, it's like, you know, once a week at least I want them to say some nice things about me so I can feel better. No. God doesn't need anything. He doesn't need anything or anyone. He is. He's self-existent, all-existent. But not only that, He's not only the one who is, but He's the one who causes all else to be. Everything else is caused by God. Where He's the only one who is the creator, everything else is created by Him. Where He's the only one who is, everything else is caused to be by Him. And, And what David is saying is, If you can say Yahweh, the one who is and the one who causes all else to be, is my shepherd, then you shall not want. But the reality is, if the Lord is not your shepherd, then something else is. Because you are a sheep. (laughs) And you are needy. And you are dependent. And if you don't have the Lord, Yahweh, as your shepherd, then you'll have something or someone else as your shepherd. But if you have something or someone else as your shepherd, then you're no longer saying the one who is the ultimate source of all things is my shepherd, is my source, is my provider. You're saying that something that he created and that is dependent on him and on a lot of other things that he created is my source and my shepherd. So in other words, if you replace Yahweh in that phrase, Yahweh is my shepherd, the Lord is my shepherd, with anything else, then you can no longer say, I shall not want The deduction, the conclusion no longer follows. You will want if something else is your shepherd. Now, um, what what does it mean when when it says I shall not want? Because sometimes we misinterpret that and, and say, well, it means that I will have no unfulfilled desires. But that's not what it means. The fact that if God is your shepherd, it doesn't mean that you will have no unfulfilled desires. It does mean that you will have no unfulfilled needs. It does mean that, that, that God will give you everything that you need. Now, God, the reality is we don't even know. Like sheep, once again, we don't even know what we need. But God knows what, he, what we need, and he shows us. And God gives us everything that we need as our shepherd because he's a faithful shepherd and this means that if there's something that you want but don't have then it's because you don't really need it right now I mean that, that I can I can go the long way and explain all of that in a lot of detail but that's the, the long and the short of it if God is your shepherd and you're following God as your shepherd and there's something you want that you don't have it means you don't really need it right now Now's not the right time for you to have it because your shepherd knows what you need. So, we must learn to trust God, the Lord, as our shepherd. And we must make sure that God is our shepherd. That Yahweh is our shepherd. That the world and the devil and our own human fallenness want to provide so many other things to displace Yahweh as our shepherd. So many things. And we must, we must resist that temptation. Because if you replace Yahweh as shepherd in your life with anything else, you are downgrading. Seriously downgrading. (laughs) So let's resist that temptation and trust in in the Lord as our shepherd. But it goes on. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And then it sort of explains some of the things. It says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. And all of that speaks about rest, which is a, a really big need that we have. And I mean, we've just been through a holiday season, so most of us, in theory, should be rested. But I know how it goes. So often you come back from a holiday, and you need a holiday to recover from your holiday. You know, it's, you, you come back tired, and you've done all kinds of stuff. Maybe, like me, you've had a working holiday, and you've moved house. You know, I'm, we moved from Legari to Robindale, and... Um, yeah, it was pretty tiring, you know. <laughs> it's, it's a bit stressful and tiring to move stu- your stuff and, um, you know, pack everything, move it all, all across. We got a trailer, Shana uh, borrowed a trailer to us and then unpack it again. And it's tiring, you know. So I've come out of this holiday and I haven't r- really rested, you know. But the reality is I've seen people who have had, like, serious holidays in which they did pretty much nothing and they've come back not really rested. And I've seen people who have worked hard but are at peace and in, in rest. And the reality is that it's not so much the absence of activity and work that causes us to rest. You know, one of the, the, the big things that really wears us out, I mean, work can be a, a, a really a great pleasure um, and, and we're designed to work. It says in the beginning, God created I mean, the very first thing we hear about God is God working. And then um, he, he gives man, you know, Adam and Eve in the garden, a garden to work. So, so we created to be like God in his image to also work like him. So, so we're designed for that, and it's very fulfilling, you know, to, to, to work. But the thing that, 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 that wears us out is if we're working not to reflect the image of God, not because we enjoy it, not to serve and love others, but to constantly prove ourselves. To constantly prove ourselves. It it says later on in that verse, he um, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now, righteousness means right relationship. Um, Acceptance. You're acceptable. If you're righteous, you're acceptable. And so often we work... We don't allow the shepherd to lead us in paths of righteousness, but we try and work to earn our righteousness, our right relationship, our right standing with him and with other people. And, And that wears you out. Because the reality is, if you're working to be acceptable to people and to God, when do you know that you've worked enough? And even if you have worked enough, for how long does that work make you good enough? You never know. And you constantly have to work. And there are so many people, I, I, I think of this, this uh, one movie, uh, Chariots of Fire. Um, there were uh, two runners. The one was a sprinter who did the 100 meter. The other one was the main character, um, Eric Little, I think was his name, um, who, who did like the mile. In those days, they still ran the mile. And he decided, and it, in, a, in a very interesting way, one of the, Important themes of that movie is, is the whole theme of rest, because he decided, you know, based on conviction in, in his heart, not to, to run on the Sunday, because he, he considered it a day of rest. And by contrast, the other guy, um, the, the, the 100, who ran the 100-meter dash, they asked him, you know, why do you train so hard? Why do you, you know, work so hard, exercise so hard? You know, why are you so intense about this whole thing of, of running and, and doing so well? And he said, you know, when that when that gun goes off at the start of the race, when that gun goes off, I have 10 seconds to justify my existence. You know how tired that must make you? <laughs> how stressful that must be? <laughs> so it's, it's, the, it's not work per se that wears us out. It's this constantly having to prove ourselves. And in a sense... God, as our shepherd, if he's our shepherd, offers us for free, which otherwise we'll have to work ourselves to death to earn. He leads us in green pastures. He makes us to lie down in green pastures. He leads us beside still waters, waters of rest. So he gives us rest on the outside and everything that we need physically um, in our environment for rest. But then he also restores our soul. So not only rest on the outside, but restoration on the inside. He gives that. And that's why Jesus in the New Testament can say, you know, c- you know, come and, and and you know, take up my yoke. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. No, it's there will still be work. There will still be a yoke, and there will still be a burden. But then He says, "But come and learn from Me, and you'll find rest for your souls. Rest for your souls. It's not that you don't need the absence of work in order to have true rest. You need the presence of God as your Shepherd, who provides for you." You know, if, if you're constantly working in the fear that I have to provide for myself, I have to take care of myself, I need to be the general manager of the universe. Because if I don't look out for myself, who will? You'll always, you'll never have rest. You'll always be tired. But if you come to the Lord as your shepherd, you will have rest indeed. Um, but then he goes on, he says, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And, and I, even that I've, I find very comforting Um, On the one hand, it's it's once again sort of a a bit insulting because it means that when God wanted to make us righteous, he could not look at us and find the reason for that in us. He had to look to himself. He says, for my name's sake, I'll lead you in paths of righteousness. For my name's sake. Now it's I will not lead you in paths of righteousness because you are so good or because you qualify, because you're better than anyone else. But for my sake, for my glory, I'll lead you in paths of righteousness. You know, it's, it's by God's grace that he, that he leads us in, in this path of righteousness. So that, that's how the shepherd leads us. But then he brings us to, to verse 4, what the shepherd leads us through. And, and ultimately in verse 5 and 6, what he leads us to. I mean, if you read verse 1 to 3, you'd almost think like, you know, unrealistic, you know, rosy, utopian picture of good shepherd taking care of me, green pastures, still waters, rest for my soul, you know, pass of righteousness, you know, walking in the right way. You know, nothing ever goes wrong, you know. If you're a Christian, nothing should ever go wrong. And then, boom, you know, verse 4, you like a, like a brick wall, you know, where, where he says, because the reality is we we seem to think we we tend to think that if the Lord's my shepherd then he'll only lead me along comfortable paths and good paths and nice paths and happy paths you know and nothing will ever go wrong in my life. But verse four clearly says no sometimes when the Lord is your shepherd and he leads you, he leads you through the valley of the shadow of death. Sometimes he leads you through the valley of the shadow of death. And when we go through some other valley or some other dark place, we tend to think, oh, it's because I've wandered after the Lord's not with me. It says, when I go through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. You as my shepherd, you're still with me, even here in the valley. You are with me. You're still leading me. You're still taking care of me. You're still shepherding me. Um, But then we wonder, but I mean, why? Why would God allow us? If he's our shepherd, why would he lead us through valleys, dark valleys, dangerous valleys, unpleasant, uncomfortable, inconvenient, dangerous even, valleys? Why would he lead us through that? And the answer is very simple. I mean, when you're in the green pastures beside the still waters and everything is hunky-dory and nice and comfortable, it's so easy to focus on the green pastures and the still waters and to lose focus on the Shepherd to forget about the shepherd. In fact, to forget that we are sheep and that we are dependent. Because when all our needs are met, we feel very independent. We feel okay. But then when, that, when we enter that valley again, all of a sudden we're reminded, no, we're sheep. <laughs> we are very dependent. We are very needy. We need our shepherd. And it's interesting, and many commentators notice, that There's a slight shift from verse 3 to verse 4. In in, in the first three verses, it addresses God in the the third person. The Lord is my shepherd. He leads me. He makes me lie down, etc., etc. And then all of a sudden in verse 3 it says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. It doesn't say for he is with me. It says for you are with me. All of a sudden, David, when he starts talking about the valley of the shadow of death, he moves from uh, talking about God to talking to God. You are with me. And it's, it's often we need that valley to make us realize that God is with us, that he has not forsaken us. And often that forces us, our attention, away from the green pastures and the still waters and onto God himself where we can focus on him and realize that he is our source. Our shepherd is our source. It's so easy for us to think that the green pastures and the still waters were our source. But the shepherd is our source. He's the one who takes care of us. He's the reason we shall not want. And he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You know, it's not so much death or shadow or the valley that we should fear, but the, but the evil. But he says, even then I will fear no evil for you, number one, you are with me, and number two, you're rod and your staff, they comfort me. I will fear no evil. It's like, <clears throat> you know, when, when, when you're a kid, you know, there are a lot of things that, that you can be scared of. But when your dad is with you and your dad is big and strong and you think he's like the strongest, meanest dad in the whole world, you don't, you don't, you're not scared of anything because you think my dad is tougher and meaner than anything out there. I don't have to be afraid of him. And even in the valley of the shadow of death, there's nothing as tough as our shepherd. There's nothing as big and as scary as our shepherd. We don't have to be afraid because he's with us. But then it says his rod and his staff comfort us. Uh, the, the, the rod was like a, <clears throat> a club, two-foot two club, usually oak club or something that, that the shepherd used to to fend off wild animals that would attack the sheep. And the staff was the, the typical shepherd's crook with that uh, bent head. Um, so, uh, and that was used on the sheep, you know, to, to either, you know, if they were going astray, you know, hook them around the neck and pull them back on the right path, or they, if they fell into a, uh, a hole or something and the shepherd couldn't get in, you know, you'd like hook them out with a, with a shepherd's crook and pull them out um, or discipline them. So, the rod or the club was for um, dealing with external evil, and the the staff or the crook was for dealing with internal evil. And... You know, we don't have to fear evil, evil external or internal, because our shepherd has the tools to take care of them, to deal with them, to protect us from evil, both external and internal. He doesn't only protect us from the predators that would prey on us and try and harm us, but he protects us from our own foolishness, our own sheepliness. And he disciplines us. And he take cares, takes care of us. And that's why we don't have to fear evil. Even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I read a story um, of a, a guy called um, Donald Barnhouse, uh, a preacher in America. And, and his wife had passed away, and he had a few relatively young children. And he, he was actually driving back home from the funeral. And he was thinking, I mean, how, how is he going to explain this to his young kids? How is he going to explain to them that, that their mom is dead? How is he going to comfort them? How is he going to deal you know, with their hearts? Um, and, and, and obviously at the funeral, Psalm 23 was read, and specifically this verse, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, and, and, and as he was sort of trying to, re- wrestling and trying to find the words, uh, it was on a freeway, and a, and a big truck, a massive truck drove past them, and the shadow of the truck fell over them, uh, over their car, and all of a sudden, he got an inspiration, and he turned to his kids, and he said, kids, would you rather be run over by a truck or by the shadow of a truck? And they said, well, of course, rather the shadow of a truck, you know. A truck can kill you, but the shadow of a truck can't kill you. And he said, exactly. Your mom only experienced the shadow of death. You see, 2,000 years ago, Jesus was run over by death so that we can only be run over by the shadow of death. She's okay. She's up in heaven waiting for us. She only experienced the shadow of death. See, just like the the shadow of a knife can't cut you and the the, the shadow of a dog can't bite you, the shadow of death can't kill you. And Jesus experienced death as our shepherd. I mean, when we think about this psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, we cannot think about it um, this side of the cross and and not think of verses like John 10 verse 11 where, where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And I mean, in those days, it was very common for sheep to lay down their life for the shepherd in the sense that, um, you know, if, if the shepherds had to make atonement for their sins, they would take the, s- the sheep and sacrifice the sheep for, to make atonement for their sin. But never is there example of a shepherd being sacrificed for the sheep to make atonement for the sheep, except yeah, in the Bible, where our shepherd experienced the substance of death. So that we can only experience its shadow. You see, our shepherd loved us, not just at the risk of his life, like other shepherds, but at the cost of his life. And that's why it goes on and it says, he can prepare a table before us. I just want to read you another few verses from Psalm 78. Um, In in the context, uh, you'll you'll see clearly, is God shepherding his people during the exodus. Um, In verse 51 and 52 of Psalm 78, it says, He struck down every firstborn in Egypt, the first fruit of their strength, in the tents of Ham. Um, Now, obviously, that was the final plague, the death of the firstborn, just before the the Exodus started. It says, Then he led out his people like sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. So so you can see that the theme of shepherding is clearly there. Um, God shepherding his people in the context of, of the Exodus. But listen to this. In that context, it says in verse 19 of of Psalm 78, they spoke against God, saying, Can God spread a table in the wilderness? He struck the rock so that water gushed out and, uh, and streams overflowed. Can he also give bread and provide meat for his people? Can God spread a table in the wilderness? As he's shepherding us from Egypt, where we were slaves, captives to the promised land. As he shepherds us. Can he provide a table in the wilderness? Can he provide water, bread, meat? Can he shepherd us? And this answer, the answer of, of, of this psalm is yes. If the Lord is your shepherd. He'll prepare a table before you, even in the midst of your enemies. And, and that indicates to me that, that this is probably not speaking about just one day after you know, death and, and resurrection you know, in heaven. But even in the midst of our enemies, even in the here and now, God can prepare a table before us. God, our sh- is our Shepherd, can anoint our head with oil and make sure that our cup overflows. We're gonna, in a in a moment, we're gonna ha- have communion. And I, I, I'm sort of out of time, so I just want to sort of sum up this last. bit. it says, "Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever." See, guests dwell in a hotel. Children dwell in the house. And Jesus, the Son of God, through his death, allowed God to make a covenant with us and allowed God to accept us as his sons and live in his house, not just in a hotel, but in his house uh, forever. And his goodness, as we follow him as the shepherd, as we follow him as our shepherd, his goodness and mercy will follow us. You see, so many people, I mean, what do they pursue in life? They pursue goodness and mercy. They, they want good things for themselves. They want The word mercy there is chesed in the, in the Hebrew. It's, it's, um, uh, it's a very it's a, Actually, you'll see most of the translations. If you read different translations, they'll translate it differently. Because it's such a rich word, it's very hard to translate. Chesed means unfailing love, uh, covenant faithfulness, loving kindness. Some of the old translations translated it. Um, in the Septuagint, which is the Greek Old Testament, they translated it agape, unfailing love. Unconditional love. And and that is God's ultimate motive. And, And all of us want someone powerful to love us that way. And everyone's pursuing goodness. And chesed, unfailing love. But God says, if you follow me, you won't have to pursue those things. Those things will pursue you. And as you follow in my wake... Those things follow. If you follow in my wake, then you'll experience those things following you because they follow me. So I wonder if the ushers can just hand out the elements of the communion quickly. Um, The communion is the ultimate table that God sets before us, even in the midst of our enemies, to show us his covenant commitment and love for us, to, to show us his care for us, to... Chesed is always used in terms of of God's covenant with his people. Um, It it, it is what motivates God's covenant commitment to his people. His unfailing covenant love. And and, and just, I was saying this morning, just to illustrate that, um, God, when he makes a covenant with us in in Genesis 15, um, it says, uh, you know, Abraham gets a promise from God, you know, I'll, I'll bless you, and, 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 and through your descendants, all the nations will be blessed, and so on. And he says, but, you know, God, I, I, I don't ha- even have an heir. You know, one of the servants in my house, um, Eliezer, is going to be the heir. And God said, no, he won't be the heir. I'll give you a son. And he says, get me, some, get me some animals, you know, some, some birds and some, some goats and, uh, and, and stuff. And, and Abraham knew about the understood covenant, so he knew what to do with him. So he cut them in half and put the pieces opposite each other. Because in those days, when you wanted to make a contract, an agreement, You didn't just sign papers. You didn't put up, set up legal documents and sign papers. You made vows, and then you made a covenant where you cut animals in half, you know, and they stood there, you know, the pieces opposite each other, and you walked through the pieces, and you pointed at those pieces, and you said, "May the Lord do this to me, and worse, if I do not fulfill my the terms of the covenant." But the strange thing about Genesis 15 is, when God is making a covenant supposedly with Abraham, Abraham falls asleep. Deep darkness comes over you. He falls asleep. And then it says a, a smoking oven and a burning torch pass through the pieces. Representing smoking oven, God the Father, and the burning torch representing God the Son. God the Father on, the, on behalf of the Godhead, God the Son on behalf of, of humanity. And it's as though God walks through the pieces. And, and, and the Father says on behalf of the Godhead, may this happen to me and worse if I do not Fulfill my end of the bargain. And then the son walks through on behalf of mankind and says, May this happen to me and worse if they do not fulfill their, if we as mankind do not fulfill our side of the bargain. Can you see God's loving kindness? Can you see his covenant love? He says, If I break the covenant, may I suffer. And then he says, If we, on behalf of mankind, if we break the covenant, may I suffer. And can you see what God did? He, He made a covenant that could, the only covenant that could not be broken. He made a covenant with himself. And then when we broke it as participants in the covenant, he paid the price himself. And that's what this Lord's table reminds us of. It reminds us of the fact that God's goodness and mercy follows us. So much so that even the penalty for our sin, for our breaking the covenant... He took upon Himself as our shepherd. Instead of sacrificing us as the sheep, the shepherd was sacrificed for the sheep. Where have you ever heard of such a thing? Only here. Only in the word of the the Lord. Only in the gospel. Can you not trust a shepherd like that? Can you not trust a shepherd that would love you, not only at the risk of his life, but at the cost of his life? Can you not trust such a shepherd? Can you not trust him with your life? Can you not trust where he's leading you, even when he's leading you through the dark valley, through the valley of the shadow of death? Can you not trust him? See, um, we can only follow the good shepherd as far as we trust him. Do you trust him? Do you trust the good shepherd? Can you say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want? If you can stand at the beginning of this year and say, the Lord is my shepherd, then you can also say, I shall not want. And then you can approach 2018 with all its uncertainty, with everything that could go right and wrong, with excitement instead of fear, because the Lord is your shepherd. And even though you're a sheep and you're not in control, he is the one who who is. He is the creator of everything and he is in control. And he can meet all your needs. Can you say, my heart will trust in him because he is my shepherd? Just say, God, I trust in you. Just in your own words. And if you can't say that, say, Lord, I want to trust in you. Help me. Help me to trust in you. Father God, we, we just come to you and we, we thank you, Lord, that and we can know, Lord, that the, the Christian life, the life of being shepherded as a sheep of the good shepherd, thank you that we can know that the Christian life is not difficult, it's impossible, but that we have a God who makes the impossible possible. We have a good shepherd who makes it possible. And our hearts will trust in you, Lord. Our hearts will not trust in ourselves. Our hearts will not trust in the economy. Our hearts will not trust in our parents or in our spouses or in political parties. Our hearts will trust in you, Lord. Because we know that even though everything and everyone else fails us, you As our good shepherd will never fail us, never leave us, never forsake us, never let us down. We thank you for that. Our hearts will trust in you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Shafa Johannesburg. May the grace you received produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.chauffer.joburg.